Evening all. Okay, so I'm going to give you a choice tonight. We can e- I can either talk about uh, from failure to breakfast um, or the woman with the issue of blood. Breakfast. Breakfast. All right. <laughs> okay. Jazzy at all. What, from failure to breakfast? Yeah, yeah, the other ones. I need to work on that one. So the other day, I was meditating on this particular passage of Scripture, and then I just had this beautiful, profound revelation as, as I went through it. And this is on the night when Jesus has been just about to be betrayed. And he, Jesus says to his disciples, You will all be caused to sin this night because of me, for it has been written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after my resurrection, I will meet you in Galilee. And Peter said to him, if all will be caused to sin because of you, I shall never be caused to sin. And Jesus said to him, well, truly, I say to you that on this night before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if it would be necessary for me to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said likewise. Now, I'm going to talk about myself tonight. So that in me talking about myself, maybe we can all think about ourselves with the words I'm about to say tonight. Because Peter fell into a classic trap that we all fall into from time to time. And I I have fallen into this trap. And and it's almost God's sense of humour sometimes that as a preacher, you know, you, you say something and it was like, okay, you put that out to the congregation. Let's see how you get on with that next week. And God puts you through a situation where it's like, you're in that scenario. And they're like, oh man. So, you right there? <laughs> I just want a better view. Okay. So, Peter said, now listen to this. Uh, where are we? He said, um, if all will be caused to sin because of you, I shall never be caused to sin. In other words, he's actually saying amongst the, the disciples, oh, this lot, oh, these guys, you know, they'll let you down, but I won't let you down. I'm your man, all right? And then, and then Jesus said, no, no, Peter, you will deny me three times. And he still, still won't have it. No, 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 even if I have to die with you, let's take it to the next level. Even if I have to die with you, I'll not deny you. And all the disciples said, likewise, oh, yeah, we won't deny you either. But it, it was that bit where Peter says, you know, these lot might sin, but I won't fail you. I won't let you down. And Peter, you know, he's, he's listed as the first of the 12 disciples in every account of the Gospels. He's always the first one. Why? Because he had the preeminence of the, the disciples and he became then the, the chief apostle, if you like, of them. Because as you'll find out later, Jesus said to him, you know, feed my lambs and look after these guys and stuff. And so Peter became quite a big deal in church history. We know after he had to flee Jerusalem, he then went to Rome and there he became like the main guy in Rome for until pretty much he was martyred. And and so Peter's a great guy. We all know about Peter. He's this headstrong, just get, get, get straight in there and get on and do it. But you know what happens to headstrong people who speak first and, uh, you know, they, they have a lot of regret sometimes. And this is a classic example. And, and this, this, is, this is a real, this smacks of spiritual pride. This lot might sin against you, but I won't. I won't let you down. And so as I was pondering on that, I was being reminded by the Spirit of God, bless his name, <laughs> of um, only about a year and a half ago, 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? So you can like, oh, how could you think such a thing, Chris? But that's the point of today's sermon. Because actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all a little bit like Peter, okay? And a bit like me. So I remember preaching on the field when we were in the field during COVID when the other churches weren't meeting. And I remember a lot of Christians that were just staying away in droves because because they were fearful. There were other people that were staying away for different reasons. Some were for reasons of um, conscience or what have you. But there were some that stayed away because they were frightened. And I was like, that made me angry. It made me cross. Because like Christians were hiding away in fear. What are we going to be like when there's, when there's real persecution? I felt righteously indignant against these, these weak-willed Christians. You know, I'm not afraid. I'm not frightened. But you know, one thing I've learned as a, as a human over the years is that nine out of ten times, the things that annoy me the most about other people are actually the things I don't like about myself. You know, you get some people, and I'm being brutally honest with you tonight, okay? We're not going to do the Christian ham and cheese stuff. We're going to get down to some nitty gritty, okay? So, that, you know, there's, there's, there's sometimes some other people that you know in Christendom and they just really wind you up the wrong way. There's something about them that just really annoys you, okay? Everyone here met people like that? No, just me. Okay, right. And, but what I learned a long time ago was that the very thing that they're doing that annoys me is actually what I do myself and I don't like myself for it. And we often don't want to look at ourselves and so it's easier to not be angry at them than it is to deal with our own issues. Do I get an amen? You know, because, uh, and, you know, that's just how it is. Most of the time when something about someone annoys you or makes you angry, it's actually because you're guilty of doing the same things, but you're projecting your anger onto them because then you can blame them instead of having a good hard look at yourself. And uh, so here's Peter. I'll never let you down. I'm your man. I'll be there right to the end. I'll even die with you, Jesus. And so something happened to me, as you well know. Most of you here know what happened to me last year. And I was faced with my moment, just as Peter was about to be faced with his. So I was angry at people because they were fearful and frightened. And it was like, where were they? Some people, like, I remember we did this big course on end times, and it was like a two-year course. <laughs> people saying, Chris... You know, if this happens, we'll be there right to the end. And they were the first to run away. And, and I was just, I, I, guess, I guess I was quite shocked as a pastor. And I, and I got quite, you know, self-righteously indignant about the whole thing. And then came my moment. And as you know, a year ago, I, I died. I was going out for a walk with my wife and I had a cardiac arrest. And when I eventually came to, I remember being in hospital and I was writing some Facebook post and um, got me a little bit stressed and immediately I went into VT, ventricular tachycardia, and my heart just went completely crazy. And then this machine inside me started giving me four shocks and the, the, the nurses came running in with the crash cart ready to give me the pads. It's like, for goodness sake, get them things away from me. I've watched enough of those um, ER programs, you know, going It's like, that doesn't look fun. I'm not having that. And, um, and so in they were coming. And, and out of my mouth, I shouted out, I don't want to die. And I realized that I was terrified of dying. And the very thing that I was having to go at other Christians about because they were frightened and running for the hills was the very sin that I was guilty of. 
And Peter saying, oh, I will not fail you. I will be here right to the hill. This lot will fail you, but I won't because I've got it together, because I'm spiritually more able than those guys, because I know more about stuff than they do, because I've got my act together more than them, because I've got, I don't know, I'm more spiritual than them, more holy than them. I'm, I'm operating in certain things more than other Christians. Surely it'll be me that won't fail. <laughs> Amen. It's quiet in the room tonight. It's quiet. Peter. I tell you, I will not let you down, Jesus. All these other people, they will cause you to sin, but I will not let you down. And of course, then we we know too well the story. Is that, to be fair to him, he didn't run off. All the other guys ran off, apart from John. I think he stayed quite close. But the other guys, you know, Mark, someone grabbed him. He was the youngest and he was like, I don't know what he was wearing, but by the sounds of it, not very much because that got ripped off and he ran off naked, it says in the gospel. Whee, I'm out of here. And, uh, and everybody else, they all ran away. So the only two that were close to Jesus was Peter and John. But then Peter did the most awful of things because Peter did both things. He eventually ran off, but then he did the worst thing a Christian could do is he denied Christ. You see, the early church had a problem. In the first and second and third century church, they had a problem. And this problem was that many Christians were being martyred for their faith. They weren't a problem. They were kind of heroes of of the faith. The problem was those Christians that came to being martyred and then at the last minute uh, recanted their faith so they could be let free. And they were let free. But then six or seven weeks later, they turned back at the church again. And the early church was like, what do we do with these guys? Because technically, you've rejected Jesus. And Jesus said in his own teaching that if you reject me before men, I'll reject you before my Father in heaven. What do we do with these guys? Well, the conundrum was solved when we move over to John chapter 21. Now, I want you to think about this now. Jesus has been dead for a couple of days. Now, he's also resurrected at this time. And a few of them have seen him, but not all of them. Disciples, that is. And they're going back to their old way of life. They've got, basically, this whole boat is full of disciples. And they are basically a whole boatload of failures. Because everyone in that boat let him down. Everyone in that boat failed him, ran away from him, denied him, betrayed him. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? I really want you to get that picture. I know this sounds like this is a really encouraging sermon, Chris. It'll get to the good bit in a minute. But I just really want you to think about how they felt about themselves in that boat, especially Peter. Peter was supposed to lead these guys Oh, and he was a leader, all right, because he, he outshone everybody. He really betrayed Jesus. You know, you might think, oh, Judas is the one that really betrayed him. Yeah, well, he did. But you know, something about Judas, you know, whenever you see stained glass pictures, you don't have to look too hard to find Judas, do you? Because he's got like the hair, like in funny horn shapes or something, or he's got the, the scowl, the evil scowl and the suspicious looking beard and tash. Um, but I think that's unfair because it says in the Psalms, it says, I was betrayed by my best friend. So Jesus and Judas were probably really good friends. 
A lot of people don't think that, but it's quite clear in the Psalms. It says, my best friend was my betrayer. You know, well, that's about David. No, it's not. It's about Jesus. David experienced it, but he's prophesying about Jesus. So Judas was a friend and he betrayed him. Peter was a friend and he betrayed him. The other disciples, they were all friends and they betrayed him and they ran off. They basically, to Peter, apostatized. He denied Christ. And here they are in this boat. And I can imagine that the conversation was sparse. Because they're all like just lost in their thoughts thinking, what have I done? What have we done? What, why did we leave him when he needed us most? When he was always there for us, we abandoned him. We forsook him. Some of us even denied him. One of them betrayed him with a kiss. What have we become? And Peter must have been thinking, Lord, or in his mind, you know, I've lost everything. I was supposed to be this man that was to lead these apostles. I, I was supposed to have, a, have some work and a calling for God. Jesus always spoke to me about it. And now it's all come to an end. The Messiah is dead. And some people are saying that he's risen. But, 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 and I denied him three times. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Jesus knows the teachings of Peter. So he knows the teachings of Christ very well. So I know I'm laboring this, but I want you to get in the boat with these guys. Here's a boatload of losers and betrayers and people that were, unfortunately, their human nature got the better of them. And after dawn came, Jesus stood on the shore, though the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, you must cast a net to the right side of the boat and you will find fish. I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than someone telling you how to do your job, is there? I mean, these guys know what they're doing. But I don't know, they just must have been in just such a state. It was just like, oh, just for goodness sake, just chuck the net the other side. We've, we've got nothing to gain. We've locked, we haven't got anything, so just, just do it. They cast the net. It says then they cast the net on the other side of the boat and then they, they didn't have the ability to haul it in on account of the great number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Then after Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he gird around his outer garment, for he was without his outer garment, and he threw himself into the lake. You see, Peter did something that Judas didn't. Judas not, not only betrayed Jesus, but he ran away, and in his sorrow hung himself. Here, Peter, who has equally betrayed Jesus, actually, in many respects, because he denied him, when he realises his problem, he doesn't run away from Jesus, he immediately runs towards him, even though he's a broken man, even though that actually, after all that he's done, should he even get one ounce of mercy from Jesus for what's happened? And he's the first to get out the boat and he runs straight towards him. And in that's a lesson for us. The first thing that we do when we have blown it for Jesus is not run away from him, but actually run straight to him. Get out of that boat. Get out of your situation, out of the boat with all the other miserable people and get to Jesus. It says that the other disciples came in a little boat for they were not far off from the shore, only about 200 foot, dragging the net of fish. Then, as they got off on the shore, they saw coals lying there with fish fish and bread being laid on them. And Jesus said to them, you must now bring some of the fish which you've just caught. 
Then Simon Peter went up and hauled the net to the shore full of 153 big fish. Even when there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, you must eat breakfast. Now I want you to think about this. A boatload of betrayers and losers. Jesus is not the guy he once was. He's now in a resurrected eternal body just before he goes back to glory a few days later, about 40 days later, 30 days later. And what does he do? The Messiah, the King of Kings, the one that they betrayed, is choosing to love on them and choosing to serve them and wait on them. Because this is the heart of God. So often, and I've done it myself, we have written off Christians and we've written off organisations like, that's it, and no more, or nothing to do with you, and nothing. And yet Jesus took a different approach. I mean, have you ever wondered why Jesus never challenged Judas? Quite clearly, he's stealing from the money bag. I mean, everyone, I mean, he knew it, you know, Judas obviously knew it, Jesus knew it, but he never got challenged about it. He never seemed to say anything about it. And I've always pondered on that, because if I was a leader, and I knew someone was stealing money from them, I mean, he would be the first one that, <laughs> that you're right, you know, just give me the funny look. Like, he'd be the first one to be out, out of the leadership team. It's like, you're out. Um, but, but Jesus didn't deal with it. And here, Jesus is cooking breakfast for this boatload of betrayers. But you see, Jesus has compassion because he is fully God incarnate. Job said, if only there was one who could intercede and mediate between man and God. And Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is the perfect mediator. As it says in Hebrews, he understands our weaknesses. He understands the problems that we go through. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to go through some stuff. He knows what it's like to suffer and endure embarrassment and humiliation. He knows what that's like. And he takes compassion on this boatload of failures. He says, guys, come and eat breakfast. Come and eat breakfast. <laughs> what kind of a God do we serve that would go out to these broken men and despite all that's happened, would choose to wait on them and love them? He doesn't even criticise them, doesn't bring it up in conversation. He just serves them and loves them. And then we get to verse 15. It says, now while they ate breakfast, I love how the Bible just doesn't say much. You know, there must have been, I don't know if there were some awkward conversations or nothing. I don't, I don't even know if anyone dared to speak. You know, I don't, I don't know what that, what that breakfast would have been like. <laughs> Maybe a bit tense, I don't know. But while they ate breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, indeed, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, what Jesus is doing here, something remarkable, is that he's actually allowing Peter to undo his thrice denial. So he's actually allowing him to reaffirm his commitment back to Christ. But in so doing that, Jesus is also reinstituting him back into his calling and his ministry. 
You say, where were you getting that from? Because Peter says, indeed, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, you must continually feed my lambs. So Jesus is starting to put him back and and rebuild him up. Again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, indeed, Lord, you have known that I love you. And he said to him, you must continually tend my sheep. Again, Jesus is reaffirming his calling and at the same time bringing about inner healing and, and, and deliverance and forgiveness and salvation, actually, to Peter. Because we know that the scripture said that he, the devil wanted to test his faith and, like, uh, and, and test him like, like wheat through a sieve. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter became distressed. Now, why do you think he'd become distressed? It's like, Lord, why do you have to keep asking me? Don't you know that I love you? Lord, I'm a broken man. I failed you. I know I let you down. I know I betrayed you. I know I blew it, Lord Jesus. I'm so sorry. I know it. Please, why do you keep asking me? Why? Why do you keep saying to me, do you love me? I've answered you already. Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, you must continually feed my sheep. And in that moment, Peter was finally restored. He'd repented of his three times, three times apostate. And Jesus brought him back into fellowship with him. But then you see, Jesus is really gracious. Now, this is a very gracious thing that Jesus did. Now, you might not understand this. But he then goes on to say, I most certainly say to you, when you were younger, you were girding yourself and you were walking where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch your hands and another will clothe you and will carry you where you do not want to go. And he said this indicating by what kind of death he will glorify God. And after he said this, he said, you must continually follow me. And you think, why is that a grace? Why, why after reaffirming the poor guy, after that denial, why would he then prophesy, oh, by the way, you're going to die for me when you get to an old man, you're going to die? Because you know why? Because it goes back to the night when Peter betrayed Jesus. Peter said, Lord, I will not deny you. I won't sin like this lot. But then he said something which his heart was true. Lord, even if I have to die with you and die for you, I will do it. And I suspect Every day, every day when, uh, when after Jesus was dead, that he just kept thinking, I wish that I had died for my, my saviour. I wish that I'd given up my life. I wish that I hadn't run away. I wish that I hadn't failed him. Lord, oh God, and heavenly father, I wish that I had died and did what I promised that I would do. And here Jesus gives him the opportunity. You see, in the early church, the early saints, they prayed that God would consider them worthy to be martyred. It was a great honour. And as Christians, that was part of your life. It was, Lord, please let me be worthy to be a martyr. In today's Christianity, that's the last thing we want to talk about. We don't talk about persecuted church. We don't want to hear about it. And la, 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 Jesus is my victor. We just don't want to know about about persecution. And we certainly don't want to be persecuted. We certainly don't want to have our head chopped off or anything like that. We don't talk about it. But the early church, it was a great badge of honour to go out for Jesus. And here Jesus allowed Peter to fulfill that desire and that wish. And it is an honourable calling to lay down your life for Christ. 
And indeed, the true calling of all Christians is that we are witnesses. The Greek word for witness is martyrios, which is where the word martyr comes from. And every one of us are called to be a martyr for Christ every day of our lives. Not necessarily getting your head cut off, but in laying down our lives for him. Laying down and sacrificing our will so that we're like Christ in the garden of Gethsemane where it's laid, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. This is a beautiful, beautiful story that shows that we can really blow it sometimes. And I mean big time. I'm not talking about, oh, I swore the dog or something this morning. I'm talking like you really messed it up. You know, and as Christians, if we're all like, well, some of you are too young to, to, to have done that. But, but, you know, some of us have been around for a while and, and some of us have made some terrible mistakes in our life. Yeah. And, and, you know, yet even in that mess, Jesus comes to us and he wants to cook breakfast for us and he wants to serve us and he wants to give us redemption and he wants to give us restoration. And so as a, as, a, as, a, as a leader, it's made me question now, because sometimes, I, I know it sounds really horrible, but sometimes I've had, not many times, probably twice, I've had to step people down from leadership because of things that aren't right. And I'm like, well, in my head, I'm like, well, they're never going to get back into leadership again because I just can't risk da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But that's actually not how Jesus dealt with it. Jesus could see that he was a broken man. He could see that he was repentant. He could see that Peter genuinely loved him and he gave him the opportunity to show him that he loved him. And through that, him showing that love back, Jesus thrice um, brought him back into a place of reconciliation and a place of healing. Even so much so that Peter's heart's desire to die for his Lord was even permitted to him. Isn't that a good and wonderful story? Isn't that a wonderful God that we can absolutely blow it and then Jesus will come and have breakfast with us and turn our lives back around. And those years which the locusts have stolen and destroyed, Jesus can turn it into plenteous fields of harvest and he gets all the glory and all the praise. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.